Our scripture reading today is from Genesis 21, chap, uh, chapter 21, verses uh, 8 through 14. And the child grew and was weaned, and Abraham made a great feast on the day that Isaac was weaned. But Sarah saw that the son of Hagar the Egyptian, whom she had borne to Abraham, laughing. So she said to Abraham, cast out this slave woman with her son. For the son of this slave woman shall not be heir with my son Isaac. And the thing was very displeasing to Abraham on account of his son. But God said to Abraham, Be not displeased because of the boy and because of your slave woman. Whatever Sarah says to you, do as she tells you. For through Isaac shall your offspring be named. And I will make a nation of the son of the slave woman also because he is your offspring. So Abraham rose early in the morning and took bread and a skin of water and gave it to Hagar, putting it on her shoulder, along with the child, and sent her away. And she departed and wandered in the wilderness of Beersheba. This is God's holy word. If you've been with us for a while, you'll remember that we really looked at this, this passage a few weeks ago. But we rewind, we're playing back, we're replaying the scene and focusing on a certain aspect of what took place as recorded in Genesis chapter 21. Like a good movie that you like very much, you play it back, you discover things that you overlooked the first or second time you saw it. It's like that with every part of the Bible. You read it again and you discover things that you had missed earlier. So we're rewinding, we're playing back part of Genesis chapter 21 in order to emphasize a great essential contrast seen throughout the Bible. This contrast is so essential that if you don't see it, if you miss it in the Bible, you don't get the story. You don't get the entire story of Scripture. Think of watching Star Wars. If you miss the theme that Luke Skywalker and Darth Vader are related? You, yeah. (laughs) So as to not make it a big spoiler alert for those who may not be ready to watch Star Wars in the room, if you miss that central theme, you miss the whole point of the entire story. There is a contrast embedded in the account of Genesis chapter 21 That if you miss, if you miss this theme of great essential contrast, you miss the point of the Bible. And the difference has to do with living by the law or living by grace. The difference has to do between earning your salvation and receiving your salvation as a gift. The difference essentially has to do between slavery and freedom. Jesus Christ. Striving is slavery. According to the scriptures, striving is slavery, but faith is freedom. And as we unpack what that might mean, I want to talk to you about this contrast in Genesis chapter 21 from three different perspectives. And the first perspective I want to address is the perspective of Abraham and Sarah. 
How did they understand this contrast? What did it look like to them? Well, to them, it looked like a conflict, didn't it? Now, you can go back and listen to the recording from a couple of weeks ago, but this is a conflict that's been going on for over a decade. And in verse 10, Sarah says to her husband, speaking about Hagar and her son Ishmael, cast out the slave woman with her son. For the son of the slave woman shall not be heir with my son Isaac. Now, Isaac was being weaned. This was the point of the celebration, that Isaac was old enough to be weaned. He was probably two or three years old. And look, the ancients didn't take for granted the life of an infant. See, we assume that babies, once they're born, are going to be healthy. The ancients didn't assume any of that. And until the child was weaned, the child was in this state of vulnerability, of uncertainty. So when a child reached the point of no longer having to nurse, that was reason to celebrate. This looks like a viable life. The child is healthy. The child is growing. The child may have a future. And so Abraham has a big party and celebrates the fact that Isaac was weaned. But there's a party pooper. There's a party pooper here, and it's Ishmael. Now he's at, Ishmael is now a teenager, an early teenager, and the text tells us that he's laughing. He's laughing at little Isaac. Now, the Hebrew word, you might remember this for Isaac, means he laughs. But the word here, laughing, the laughing done by Ishmael, scholars say, is a variant on the name Isaac. And what it really means is mockery. The concept here is that Ishmael, the teenager, is mocking his baby brother. So what you see, now look, I, I have... The, the age span of our children, we have teenagers and we basically have a baby. We have a little toddler who's not quite weaned yet. And I enjoy seeing the love that is shared between my teenagers and, and this little baby of ours. There is no love between Ishmael and Isaac. You see it right here. There is clear animosity in Ishmael for his baby half-brother. And Sarah sees it. And Sarah realizes this is what the future is going to look like. This is where things are headed. Sarah looks at the situation and says, Ishmael is always going to be a threat to my son Isaac. They're not going to grow up and have enjoyable family dinners and share the family inheritance. And it turns out that that was true for centuries. Just read the rest of the Old Testament. But Sarah sees what's happening. And so... She tells Abraham, enough is enough. Send them away. Now, despite the harshness that you hear in Sarah's words, God agrees with her. This is interesting. In verse 12, God says to Abraham, whatever Sarah says to you, do as she tells you. Now, years ago, Sarah had an idea, and it was a bad idea. And Abraham listened to his wife, and it was a big problem. That's why they're in the mess they're in right now. But this time, God says, no, Listen to her. Whatever Sarah says to you, do as she tells you, for through Isaac shall your offspring be named. Abraham, listen to your wife. She's angry, but she's right. This is a conflict that was an inescapable consequence of their past decisions. The animosity between Sarah and Hagar had now descended to the next generation. As Ishmael inherits his mother's animosity towards the other half of the family. 
as Isaac inherits the conflict before he is even old enough to understand what's happening. This is a direct and escapable consequence of decisions that they had made over a decade in the past. Now, God is a God of blessing and mercy. And we know as you keep reading in Genesis chapter 21 that God will bless Hagar and Ishmael. But the promise, the promise to bless all of humanity through Abraham and Abraham's seed, it would have to come through Isaac. That was God's plan. And God is going to be faithful to his word. So the conflict here was a consequence of Abraham's and Sarah's striving to earn an heir for themselves. God had promised them an heir, but this conflict is the result of Abraham and Sarah striving to produce an heir for themselves in their own way, not God's way, their way. Now, there's an important biblical principle for interpreting the Bible. And it's this. And you can read about it in 1 Corinthians chapter 10. The Apostle Paul mentions this. Basically, nothing in Scripture that is recorded happened simply for the benefit of those who were there at the time. Everything that is recorded in the Bible that took place is not only for the good of those who were there on, on the scene, like Abraham and Sarah and Hagar, but all of it is for our benefit. All of it is for our own good as well. We learn by what we read there in history. And that's the case here. The Apostle Paul had an interesting perspective on what's going on here between these two half-families. Now, for Paul, the contrast between the two sons was a matter of theology. Paul wrote a letter to the church in Galatia in the first century, almost 2,000 years after this episode in Genesis chapter 21. Paul wrote to the church... In Galatia, uh, the church in Galatia was divided about an, a practical theological issue. And this was the issue. It was a huge problem, but it was very practical. The question was, did Gentiles who became Christians essentially have to become Jewish in order to follow Jesus? Did Gentiles who came to faith in Jesus Christ have to observe the ceremonial laws of the Mosaic law? the ceremonial stipulations of their Mosaic law, essentially by becoming circumcised. That was the question. And influential people in the church of Galatia were saying, yes, for Gentiles to follow Jesus, they must essentially become Jewish by following all the stipulations of the Mosaic law. Now, Paul's response to that argument was an emphatic capital letter no, N-O, no. And Paul actually says, if you read the letter to the Galatians, that doing such a thing, forcing Gentiles to observe the ceremonial Mosaic law, essentially contradicted the gospel of Christianity at its core. Now, in building an argument for this, Paul mentions Genesis chapter 21. And this is what he says Paul in Galatians chapter 4. Tell me, you who desire to be under the law, do you not listen to the law? Let me stop for a minute. What he means there is, hey, those of you who are trying to live by the Mosaic law, have you paid attention to everything in the law? Because the law says the following. And Paul goes on. It is written 
that Abraham had two sons, one by a slave woman and one by a free woman. But the son of the slave was born according to the flesh, while the son of the free woman was born through promise. Now this may be interpreted allegorically, these women are two covenants. The first thing I want to say about what Paul wrote is this. Don't think that the Apostle Paul interpreted Genesis as an allegory. That's not what Paul's saying. He didn't look at the Bible in the Old Testament and say it's all allegory. Paul believed it was history. He's not interpreting Genesis 21 allegorically. He's applying Genesis 21 allegor- allegorically. He's saying to his, his readers, listen, there's something hidden in the account with Hagar and Sarah and Ishmael and Isaac that I want to reveal to you. That's what Paul is doing. And here's what it is. Paul is saying, Hagar and Ishmael represent life in the flesh. Hagar and Ishmael represent living by the flesh, which essentially means this, living a life with a heart that is hostile to God. This woman and her son represent life by the flesh, living with a heart that fundamentally, essentially, distrusts your creator. Living by the flesh is placing your confidence in yourself. Placing your confidence in the world and in other people and not in God. For instance, when Abraham and Sarah strive to produce an heir for themselves... That was living by their flesh. That was not putting hope in the God of the Bible. It was putting hope in themselves. And the situation and the conflict with Hagar and Ishmael was the result of Abraham and Sarah living by the flesh. But then there's Sarah and Isaac. And what Paul is saying is that Sarah and Isaac represent a different kind of life. Not life in the flesh, but life by the promise. Sarah and Isaac represent... Life by the promise, which means life with a heart that trusts God finally. Life with a heart that is open to God, that loves God, and therefore trusts Him and obeys Him. For instance, what Abraham and Sarah did when they received Isaac as a son was they trusted by faith in God's Word, in His promise. So Ishmael was born because of their striving, trusting in themselves. Isaac was born because of their faith in the God who promised Isaac in the first place. Life by the flesh is represented by one woman. Life by the Spirit of God, life by faith in God is represented by the other woman and her son. Now what's Paul's point in all of this. Why is he bringing this up? To say this, one woman and her son represent our natural condition apart from the grace of God. One woman represents our natural condition, which is this. We are enslaved to a law that we always break. That's our natural condition. The other woman and her son represent our new condition by faith in Jesus. We are free to live by faith in Jesus who fulfilled the law. So slavery is living under the power of God's law that we cannot keep and always break in many ways. 
Freedom is living by faith in the God who fulfilled the law perfectly. That's the difference between freedom and slavery, according to the Apostle Paul. And he uses Hagar and Sarah and their boys as an illustration of this profound truth. Now, in verse 12, remember what God said to Abraham. It's through Isaac that your offspring will be named. It's through Isaac that the seed... Now, the word there is singular. We don't pick up on that in English. Through Isaac shall your one offspring be named. So God is not saying to Abraham, it's through Isaac that your people shall come. Yes, that's true. What, what, but what God was saying to Abraham is, it's through Isaac that your one ancestor is going to come. And that's why freedom is ultimately in the man Jesus Christ. So Paul went on to say in Galatians 4, Now you brothers, brothers and sisters, like Isaac, are children of promise. Ishmael was the product of human striving. Isaac was the product of faith in the promises of God. So for Paul, he saw this situation, this contrast, theologically. Under the law, we live in slavery. But under grace, we live in freedom. Therefore, let's apply the contrast here to each of us. Let's take it personally. Not as just something that Sarah and Hagar and their boys lived through. And the Apostle Paul would later interpret. But something that you and I have to take very personally in our lives. Without faith in the Son of God, you're enslaved. This is what the scriptures teach. This is why I wanted to go back to Genesis 21 because it's a beautiful illustration of it. Without faith in the Son of God, you are a slave to the ambitions and consequences of your endless striving. Think about Abraham and Sarah. They were ambitious to produce an heir for themselves because they couldn't wait for God to work. By their own means, they went about making a name for themselves and securing their future. And despite their wealth and despite their prosperity and their growing influence in the region, despite the fact that they were able to maneuver their way out of many dangers and difficulties, despite all of that, the consequence of their own ambitious striving were, were disappointment, conflict, and misery for generations. And without Jesus, you, my friends, are enslaved to ambitious striving, whatever it might be, and to the consequences of your striving. Now, you may be enslaved by either striving to keep God's law or striving to run from it. Very, in very simple terms, those are the two main categories. We, we are either tempted to strive by fulfilling God's law in our own strength or, or we are tempted to strive by avoiding God's law in our own strength. And the two big simple words for that are legalism and license. Legalism is striving to keep God's law in your own strength. It was actually the Buddha whose, whose disciples said uh, that when he died, he uttered these words. Strive on 
untiringly. That is a really good summary of what all the great religions ultimately teach. People will say that all the great religions are essentially the same if you move around the events and the characters. It's not true. You will find that all great religions ultimately teach what the Buddha said, strive on untiringly, but that Christianity and the biblical witness teaches just the opposite. You will strive and you will strive and you will fall short of perfection. And the scriptures tell us that if we fall short of keeping any part of God's law, we're guilty of breaking all of it. So you will strive and strive and fall short from perfection. And guess what that means? You're still guilty. You strive and you strive and you work hard and you work hard. And then in the presence of God, you're still guilty. It was Martin Luther's words that we sang just earlier to wash away the crimson stain. Grace, grace alone availeth. Our works, alas, are all in vain. In much the best life faileth. That's legalism. License is the other side of the coin. License is measuring yourself by how well you strive to avoid God's law. To avoid any accountability. To run. To deflect. To ignore it to reject it. Maybe one of the best quotes that I think summarize what a life of license looks like is from Billy Joel, who said, I'd rather laugh with the sinners than cry with the saints. The sinners are much more fun. Only the good die young. But again, you'll run, and you'll run from God and his law and his accountability, and you'll run, and you'll discover you're still guilty. Like you get a speeding ticket in Maryland and decide not to pay it and move to West Virginia, guess what? The ticket still stands. You're still guilty even if you run away and the penalty still has to be paid. And that's what it's like if you live a life running and running and running from God and his good laws and his accountability. You'll run and you'll run, but a day is going to come, friend, when you discover the sentence on you is still guilty and the penalty still has to be paid and unless you let the son of God pay that penalty for you you still have to pay so whether you try and keep God's law or whether you try and run from it it's all endless striving and the Bible calls endless striving slavery you're in bondage and I hope we all take this personally because Jesus did. Jesus took our enslavement very personally. And we know that because he bound himself to the same law that holds us in bondage. And the, when the Son of God became a human being, he bound himself as a human being to God's law. And he fulfilled it perfectly. Not only did he bind himself to God's law as a human being, and fulfilled it purposely, perfectly, but then he paid your penalty for you. He hung on a cross as though he were guilty and you were not. And so this is what faith is. As we keep walking with Abraham and Sarah through their experience, we learn by different illustrations what biblical faith is. And here it is again, interpreted for us by the Apostle Paul in Galatians. Faith is this. It's saying Despite my endless striving, 
I know I'm a lawbreaker. Despite my endless running from God's law, despite my continual striving to perfect myself and to judge myself by how well I can keep partly God's law, I know I'm a lawbreaker. And I accept that Jesus Christ satisfied the law that I've broken and died died for the penalty that I deserve. Paul in another place in Romans chapter 8 said, There is therefore now no condemnation for those who are in Jesus Christ. For the law of the spirit of life has set you free in Christ Jesus from the law of sin and death. There's a greater law. God is gracious. God is merciful. And in Christ, that law frees us from our sins which allow the law of God to condemn us as guilty, which is ultimately why we die. But in Christ, we have freedom. And so we sang the words earlier, the very first song today, I will sing of my Redeemer, how he sought me while a slave, while a slave, loosed me from the curse of sin and from the power of the grave. So the Apostle Paul could conclude his argument in Galatians chapter 5 by saying, for freedom... Christ has set us free. For freedom, Christ has set us free. Jesus didn't do what he did so that we can live in slavery. He redeemed us. Stand firm, therefore, Paul said, and do not submit again to a yoke of slavery. You know, so much of the letters in the New Testament are about just that, that you're free in Christ. Stop living like a slave. You're free in Christ. Stop trying to earn your way to heaven. You're free in Christ. Stop trying to run away from God. And that's just what we do. That's why it's all over the New Testament to stop doing this. Don't submit again to a yoke of slavery because that's what we tend to do. It seems practically insane. It is practically insane. But we do it all the time. You give yourself to Jesus Christ and you come under the grace of God. Liberated by the Spirit of God to now love God and follow God and obey God and be the person that you were created to be. Be the community that God created humanity to be. And yet, we develop spiritual amnesia. We forget that we're free. The Israelites did it all the time. Read the Old Testament. They were liberated and they kept saying they wanted to go back. And this is what we do. Spiritual amnesia. We forget. Now listen, if you're suffering from spiritual amnesia lately, I think I'm here today to remind you of who you are. Return to who you truly are. The man or the woman who used to strive to prove himself, to prove herself. Or the man or woman, the boy or the girl who used to run and run and run away from God in fear or in disgust, that man is dead. That woman is dead. That is not who you are anymore. If you are in Christ, you are a new creation. The person who used to run from God, the person who used to think that you could fulfill God's law, it's a bunch of baloney, that person is dead. You are dead and you hung on the cross with Christ. That person is dead. Stop living that way. It's not your identity anymore. Remember who you are. And listen, 
remind one another of who you are. This is why we keep telling you, get into a community group so that you can remind each other of who you are so that you can remind me and I can remind you. That's why we focus on the word of God and interpret it not solely and privately, but in community so that we can remind each other of who we are. So remember, Christ has freed you from your striving and live in grace. Therefore, my trust is in the Lord and not in mine own merit. In Him, my soul shall rest. His word upholds my fainting spirit. Striving is slavery, but faith is freedom. When you get legalistic, remember that. When you get to running again, running away again, remember that and remind each other of who you are. Let's pray. Our Father, we thank you for freedom in Jesus Christ. We thank you that he enslaved himself to your law, that he enslaved himself to people who ultimately crucified him, each of us being a part in that. We thank you uh, that by his chains we are free. We ask for faith to remember who we are. We ask for faith to not live legalistically trying to earn our way and our reputation and our success. We ask for faith to not live by running, by hiding from you, by hiding from one another. We ask to live by faith in knowing that Jesus has made us new men, new women. Father, we ask that you would equip us with patience for one another. We all forget at times, Lord, and that's when we get really frustrated with one another. Uh, In that moment of spiritual amnesia, give us patience to remind each other gently of who we are in Christ. And Father, for those here today who do not identify themselves with Jesus Christ, I ask that you would show them his goodness, his trustworthy nature, and that he is their only hope. And in his name, we worship you and thank you. Amen.